Hey, how's it going? Brian Kane here with our mental performance group coaching program brought to you by Fundraising University. And first, I just want to welcome everyone to today's group coaching call and remind you that Fundraising University offers a variety of fundraising efforts to help teams and students run profitable, effective, and fast-paced fundraisers designed to raise the most amount of money in the least amount of time to reach your fundraising goals. So if you're interested in running a fundraiser or potentially becoming a franchise owner with Fundraising University, please contact Zach Sorensen, Z Sorensen at fundraisingu.net to learn how to get started with fundraising. Super excited for today's call with Amanda Borden. Amanda was the captain of the 1996 U.S. Olympic gymnastics team, dubbed the Magnificent Seven, and they took home the gold medal in the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. Now, along with the gold, they made history by becoming the first U.S. women's gymnastics team ever to win an Olympic Games. Amanda described the experience as one of the biggest moments of her gymnastics career, and one of the biggest moments in women's gymnastics history. Amanda proved herself to be a steady and consistent gymnast from the start of her training at a Cincinnati Gymnastics Academy. Her talent and ability led her to be named to the national team six times and to the world championship team three times, eventually reaching the pinnacle of her career as a team captain and making history with the gold medal in 1996. USA Gymnastics named her the Sportswoman of the Year in 1995, and after the 1996 gold medal win, she appeared in numerous national television tours and was actually featured on the cover of a Wheaties box, the first here in our group coaching program, which is super exciting. She graduated summa cum laude from Arizona State University with a degree in elementary education and was honored by Arizona State with the Alumni Achievement Award for her success and contributions in business and the community. Amanda is the owner of Gold Medal Gymnastics Academy with two locations in both Tempe and Chandler, Arizona, and she has combined her educational training and her athletic expertise and continues to serve as a gymnastics and cheerleading commentator for CBS Sports, Fox Sports, ESPN, NBC, and the Pac-12 Network. In addition to all of that, Amanda is a member of the USA Gymnastics Hall of Fame, and the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame, and most recently won an Emmy Award for her coverage and color commentary of NCAA gymnastics. Amanda, thank you for taking time to join us. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, you know, excited to talk about kind of like the, the theme here of how to win in sports, business, and life, because everything you do touches, everything you touch turns to gold, right? As they, as they say, with the gold medal. So, you know, our, our group coaching program has, uh, has high school coaches from all different sports all across the country. We've got college coaches, we've got mental performance coaches, and we have business owners and entrepreneurs. And, you know, I think what's really exciting about where we're going to go in today's call is my mentor, Ken Revizzo, used to work with Team USA Gymnastics, and he got started in gymnastics with the, the visualization and the importance of routine and kind of was able to bring that into baseball. So, you know, I think maybe a cool place to get started would just be when you, when you think about mental performance or, or sports psychology for athletics, what is that for you? Um, well, it was everything for me as an athlete. Um, I would have described myself as a really hard worker. I loved training. I was born to grind and be gritty and do all the work. What didn't come natural for me was competing. And that's everything in our sport. So um, it took me a long time. I really feel blessed that I had a coach that back in the early 90s started teaching me these things that actually I look back now and realize probably the only reason I made it to the Olympics. You know, I have the physical talent, but if you can't take the talent and direct it the way it needs to go to be excellent in competition, you're kind of missing out. And so um, for me, 
you know, mental game became 90% of my success in my sport for sure at the end. And um, like I said, my coach um, all the way back late 80s, early 90s started introducing these strategies. And um, now it's something that I obviously continue to carry on, not just with the kids I coach, but even my own three children. You know, when you say you went all the way back back into the 1990s and you started doing mental performance training. What was your initial reaction to that? And I think in different sports, obviously athletes are more open. Like I look at gymnastics, I look at dance, I look at golf and they're like, oh yeah, this is, this is just part of what we do. We visualize our routines all day long. So when you start talking about that, it's more of a, maybe a natural fit where maybe if you're talking to, you know, football players or basketball players or baseball players, sometimes maybe they, they don't quite connect the dots because they haven't done as much as you have in, in those specific sports. But if you go back to when you got started, what were some of your initial reactions to mental performance training? And what were some of the things that you did you found to be so beneficial? Well, I think the first thing for me as an athlete, I was very visual. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned by watching other people and I was super kinesthetic, the feeling of everything. And so um, I think that was just how I functioned. Um, step one, step two, um, I had tremendous trust and faith in my coaches. I think that sometimes is a bit more of a challenge with the kids nowadays. But for me, if my coach told me to put my nose on this desk for you know 20 minutes a day to make the Olympics, I would have done it. And so I really bought in right from the start. Um, I think the way she taught me was initially you know, watching videos of other people that were doing skills and gymnastics that I wanted to do so that I could get like the breakdown in my own head. Um, then we took it into the gym and broke it down into the drills and fundamentals that my body needed to learn to connect my brain and body. So I think that was a really big piece of it for me. Um, in the end, you know, gymnastics, like a lot of sports, I had a lot of injuries and obstacles. I was 19 in the Olympics, which sounds really young, uh, but for gymnastics, that was considered over the hill. Um, And so I was balancing, like I couldn't train as much and as hard as I really wanted to physically. So that's where I really started counting on, you know, my mental training and getting the amount of reps Mm. it takes in a sport like gymnastics to be perfect, because that is the ultimate goal. Mm. Talk about those mental reps and, and, and how you would, you know, visualize as a, as an athlete. And now even what you're, what you're training your athletes to do with gold medal gym, talk about the importance of visualization and kind of how you used it then and how you're using it now as a coach. Yeah, I think it's hard for me to remember back when I was 12 or 13 and started it, but I do know that, you know, like a lot of the kids I coach, I had the same struggles. Like I would try to visualize my routine and then like, I'd fall off the beam and I'd be like, Oh my goodness, why am I visualizing that? I don't want that. Um, or I'd be visualizing and just kind of stray off into who knows what I was thinking about. Um, so my coach really tried to build it into my training where I was practicing that I was practicing, visualizing it over and over until like anything else, my brain could actually do what I was wanting it to do. Um, I did a variety of different ways, obviously closed my eyes and visualized my routines. My favorite way probably was looking at the piece of equipment empty and seeing myself, like I was watching myself on TV. Um, I think that was probably the most effective. And then as I got a little better at it, um, I mean, I could vividly hear and see and smell um, all of the parts of a competition. Um, And as I got higher in the levels of gymnastics, every competition was the same, the same three bells to tell us it was time to warm up. Um, the same blue carpet, you know, red floor around it, things like that. And so as I got older, I mean, it was just like a crystal clear video 
of me watching my routines of my gymnastics. And I did it in the gym. Um, I did it before I went to bed. Um, and I did it a lot um, when I was injured. Um, in fact, right before the Olympics, um, so this was February of 1996, I'd had three back-to-back -back injuries. I um, broke a foot, sprained an ankle, and then uh, broke my hand. So of course, it takes a, a huge toll on the amount of training you can do. But without a hand in gymnastics, there's not one event you can do. Um, and I literally spent hours visualizing my routines. And I spent hours training my body to be in the best shape it had ever been. So I was conditioning more, I was stretching more, I was doing more cardio, and I was really tight on my diet. So physically, I was in the best shape I'd ever been. But the biggest difference, I was only out for five weeks with a broken hand, is when I came back into the gym, I could feel it. And my coach noticed like, whoa, we got the whole package now. And that is when it was, you know, I always believed in it and always trusted it. But that was the first time that I had to really rely on the mental training because I couldn't do the physical. Mm, so good. So good. And, and it's, it's amazing how um, I, I was on a podcast earlier and they said, well, how do you get your clients? And I was like, well, most ironically, about 70% of the clients that I get at the professional level, they, they come to me when they're injured and when they're injured and they're frustrated and they don't know what to do. And they are like looking for anything to grab onto so that they feel like they can make some progress. And one of the first things we do is we go into visualization and whether it's visualization of, you know, at, like I have one player who um, had, had a, had a concussion they wouldn't let him in be at the game. So he would be home and he would literally have a little throw down rubber plate and have a bat. And he would stand up and watch the TV and he would watch the game. And the person who was hitting in the lineup where he would hit, he would watch the pitch, then close his eyes and visualize getting those mental reps of him doing that. You know, so I have another player um, who, who's been on this group coaching program, Matt Carpenter, who was with the Yankees last year with San Diego this year. And last year he's in New York rehabbing a foot injury and they're on the road playing. And he would literally walk from the dugout to home plate in Yankee Stadium and practice getting in the box with no one else in the entire stadium and visualize a pitcher on the mound and going through just like you would going into that arena and looking at that equipment. How do you use it now with your gymnasts? Do you make them audios that they listen to? I know we've done some work together and sent them audios. Do you ever like talk them through it where they're laying down on a mat before you go into a competition? What's that look like now for you as a coach? Um, you know, I've been coaching for, I mean, I've really started coaching when I was finishing my own gymnastics career, but I've been coaching in my own gym for just about 20 years. And so this is something I've always used. And I do feel like in the 20 years, um, kids now challenge me to offer like a million different ways to teach things or try things because, you know, they don't always buy into like option A. So then I have to give them like option B and C and, and hopefully they find one that works. And some of them obviously don't. And that's okay too. Um, ultimately, I try to show all different types of visualization. And this year, um, obviously, we started working with you. Our team started working with you. And it was amazing to see, you know, I would say 50% in bought in really quick. The other 50 were like, eh, teeter-tottering. And then they started seeing kids make progress and they were like, whoa, wait a minute, what's happening? And so I feel like that's really key for kids. They need to see results, unfortunately. Uh, um, what we do is we, we do a variety of visualizing. We build it into their workouts. So right now we're still in the middle of the season. We go to bars. They, this is our routine. They grip up. Then they do a visual bar routine. 
Then they do their actual warm up on the bar. Then they do another visual of the routine they want to compete. And then they show their competition routine. And of course, they work out on the event for another 45 minutes. It's, you know, a long grind. Yeah. But when we go to the competition, that's the same routine, same pattern that we do. So really trying to teach them to use it every day, use it every time. And then, of course, when they struggle or when we have injuries or anything like that, we also use that. I've used the word um, verbal choreography for a long time. Obviously, in gymnastics, we have routines. So, you know, you step up, you salute, then you do your mount, your tumbling, your dance, your leap, your turn, all those kind of things. So our kids are really used to, like, choreography, do these 10 things in a row. So we do the same thing with verbal choreography. So we give each element a verbal cue. So that they can use that while they're visualizing laying in their bed. So they're visualizing, they're tumbling, but they're using the verbal cues and then, you know, putting it all into action. Um, we've done where they record that and they can listen to it for kids that get really distracted. I mean, gymnastics is like a four ring circus all the time. So it's really hard for some kids to like zone in on themselves. So a lot of times we'll have them record it just on their iPhone and then they can put their headphones in and listen to the choreography as they're kind of marking or walking through. Um, and then like I, all the strategies I used, I just try to teach them, you know, through my own experience that, you know, sit down in a quiet place and, and try to visualize. If you make a mistake, pick back up from there, keep trying like anything. And eventually you'll figure it out. Watch yourself on TV, watch old videos of yourself hitting your routines, whatever it takes to get your brain to see that perfection over and over and over. And I think the biggest thing that I got out of it as a gymnast at the end of my career was that by doing that, it actually got my brain to truly believe I was actually good enough to make an Olympic team. You know, there was always this little piece of doubt, like, can I hit under pressure? Can I? Well, yeah, I've done 3000 perfect mm -hmm. routines in my head. I can see it. I know it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's really what we're trying to get with our gymnast is um, getting them to believe that they're physically capable because they're physically always capable, in my opinion. It's yeah, yeah. the mental that is not always there. This is tremendous. So, so here you are, captain of the greatest U.S. women's Olympic gymnastics team of all time. You've got Olympic gold medal. You're on the cover of a Wheaties box, and you had self doubt. <laughs> I mean, athletes made it to the cover of a Wheaties box with self doubt. Yeah. Talk about that because I think there's the, there's this thing I call the myth of belief that like you have you have to believe that you're going to dominate you have to believe even though my shirt says dominate today it's really about like having a plan for your day and working your plan right it's and and I think so many times young athletes and the coaches listening to this like the 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 importance of belief and like knowing I'm going to make it versus no you have fear and let's embrace that fear and let's do the work right? Let's do the work to work with that fear and how to prepare with the visualization. And I think sometimes that fear actually sharpens your senses and makes you have that little bit of fear to do actually do the level of preparation that comes into that. So how did you use fear as fuel? And can that be a productive like emotion and state for you as an athlete? Yeah, well, kind of going back four years prior in 1992, um, I was a first year um, elite gymnast. I was only 15. And to give you the quick version, I went, I made it all the way to Olympic trials. I mean, everybody was like, who is this kid? She's like smiling year to year, having so much fun. Why isn't she nervous? Why isn't she stressed? Well, I had no idea what I was getting into, right? I was just there doing my thing. I qualified for the Olympics and, you know, USA Gymnastics was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like this wasn't the plan. 
And so I actually got a call from USA Gymnastics and they told me, you know, we don't think you have enough experience. We don't think you're good enough and, you know, good job, but you're staying home. You're not representing Team USA in Barcelona. I mean, it was a huge, devastating, like, hit. You know, nobody had ever told me I wasn't good enough. So, like, that really wasn't in the back of my mind. Um, but it made me question, should I even stick with gymnastics? Like, whoa, this is a lot of work to have somebody tell me I'm not good enough. Like, how, you know, I just had a lot of emotions. And so I remember that day well, that week coming back, like, I'm never going to do gymnastics for anybody else. And I'm never going to do it for, you know, the Olympics, you know, I'm going to take it year by year and I'm going to do it for me. And here's why I do it. Um, and so that was really key for me because from 92 to 96, I had that in the back of my head the entire time. Am I good enough? But you know, am I going to make it? What if I stick around for four more years? We worked out 35 hours a week. What if I do that again four years from now and somebody still says like, oh, you're not good enough. So I had a lot of doubt. I had a lot of question. Was I making the right decision? Um, and I just really focused on, and again, my coach, I think back, you know, to how instrumental she was and how she helped me think. Um, but she literally said, control what you can control. Like your number one is you do gymnastics because you love it. Okay. So if you're loving it for the next four years, keep doing it. Okay. Number two, like focus on all the physical that you can, can you eat healthy? Can you, you know, give 110% effort? Can you get stronger? Can you get more flexible? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm a grinder. Of course I can do all that. That's easy. No problem. Um, and then the third piece was, Hey, can you get yourself mentally strong enough to get knocked down again? Cause you're going to get knocked down. Mm -hmm. And so I think that those three pieces of the puzzle were, it helped me take it day by day and year by year. And I fell down a lot and I got hurt a lot and I failed a lot. And yes, I doubted myself, but I always knew if I'm hitting these three things in my training, I'm going to trust it. And if I'm meant to be on the Olympic team, if I'm good enough to be on the Olympic team, I'm going to be there because I've done these things. Right. And um, so I think, you know, going into 96, I had to decide I graduated high school in 95 and I had to decide I had a full ride scholarship to University of Georgia. Do I go on the scholarship or do I defer a year and try again? And it was probably the hardest decision I ever made. Um, my number one goal was, um, you know, to have the opportunity to be a college athlete. My family didn't have a lot of money, so it was a huge opportunity to get my school paid for. But um, yeah, man, I was still in the top five in the in the country. I still loved it. I was physically strong and flexible and all those things. And mentally I had really grown. And I just remember saying to myself, like, yeah, I'm nervous and I'm scared and I may fail again, but I'd rather try and fail than to not try at all. And so that last year was probably one of the hardest. Um, but I feel like I had all of these skills needed mentally that I was a different athlete four years later. And you know, my, my story in itself is had I made the Olympics in 1992, I, we, we would have won bronze. I may have never tried again because I would have been way out of my league. I would have been really nervous and really stressed out. And, you know, God's plan for me was I needed four more years to get physically better and to get mentally better so that I could be the captain of that team. Wow. 
You know, it's so good. And, you know, you talked about the importance of imagery. You talked about doing what you do because you love to do it and embracing and loving the grind and the work, controlling the controllables. Can you get yourself mentally and physically strong enough and ready to get knocked down? And I think if there's one thing that life's going to give you besides taxes, life is going to give you a, a right hook that's going to send you to the ground, whether it be an injury, whether it be a, a, a health diagnosis, right? Whether it be uh, losing a loved one, whether it be when you're starting a business and you open a gym and then a pandemic hits and there's all these things that come into it as being a, a business owner. What are some things, Amanda, that you have, have learned through your sports career in gymnastics that you have now taken into a, into a, a business owner of gold medal gym in Arizona? Yeah. Sometimes I always wonder, like, was I born this way and gymnastics drew me yeah. or did gymnastics, you know, kind of mold me. And I, I really think it's a combination of both. I'm definitely a type A um, performance driven type of person, but I do feel like so much of who I am is the sport and the people I surrounded myself with. I feel like beyond grateful for my own coach and her dedication to me as an athlete, but bigger picture, me as a person. Um, I feel like all of the qualities that I got as an athlete, like I don't do the flips anymore. I did something like a year ago and like couldn't walk for a week. So I'm like, I don't have time for that, yeah, yeah. but, um, I'm still a grinder. I'm still a hard worker. I love that part of my job. It's very physical and I'm, you know, active and a part of it every day. Um, I still love what I do, which is huge. Um, but you know, managing 75 employees, coaching teenagers in this day and age, um, dealing with the overbearing parents, um, you name it. And I feel like I did something in my 20 years of being an athlete that prepared me for this moment. And um, of course, I feel like what you go through right now is preparing me for the next moment. And I just feel like that's that's what I was taught as an athlete. You know, yep, you got knocked down, you failed, you didn't make the Olympics. Well, what'd you learn? Because if you learned, you're moving forward. And if you use those things that you've learned, you're going to be better next time. And hopefully the next time you do make it or you do win or you do have these opportunities. But if not, if you've learned something, you're stepping towards, you know, the next opportunity. And I just feel like I look back at what I did as a new business owner and a new coach. And I'm like, whoa, I had no idea what I was doing. And 20 years later, my perspectives are really different for that same reason, just always learning. I think another gift my coach gave me was she was never afraid to say, I don't know, but I will learn and I will find out and we will do it together. And so again, I just feel like, um, you know, can never, can never be the greatest. You always have something to learn. You always can get better. Love that. And, it's, and this is coming from a gold medalist, right? That I can always get better in the winner's learner's mentality. And I think that's something that, you know, I just was in Illinois this past weekend speaking to a group of high school athletic directors in the state of Illinois. And one of the things I always say, I talk about using callbacks and I'd say something like control what you can. And you'd say, I've done it with your kids, right? Control. Attitude is a decision. Confidence is a choice. And I would say in life, there's winners. And, and a lot of times they go losers. And it's like, no, no, no. There's winners and learners in life. And the ones who learn are the ones who ultimately are going to win the most because they just continue to grow and they continue to get better. Um, you're coaching teenagers, you're coaching athletes, youngest athlete at gold medal to the oldest. What's the age range that you have in there? Oh, well, we have walking, uh, you know, basically just under two to 18. All right. <laughs> 
So you got to get the whole gamut. And CK Canes too, we're getting over there. So as soon as you off, we'll see when that is. But the the um, the biggest challenges that you see in the athletes that you're coaching these days, right? And the world's different than it's been. Things are changing. Social media, a pandemic. There's a lot of things that they're going through. So for the coaches that are on here that that are are coaching somewhere in that age age range, two to eighteen. Some of the challenges that you see and maybe strategies that you use in your coaching to help around mental performance that any coach could take and use. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing, um, you know, I think COVID and being shut down and, you know, for us, it felt like a really slow comeback in a lot of ways. Like, we're just so grateful. Like, we were like, wow, we're getting to do what we love. And we kind of compromised some expectations because kids were mentally and emotionally rocky. Um, we felt like we just needed to be super positive and all these kind of things. And after about two years of that, we realized like, whoa, we're not helping these kids out at all. So let's kind of look at this. Let's really analyze not them, but what we do. Again, I can't control you know, what goes on necessarily in their homes or really what's even going on in their brains. Although I am a control freak, I will admit. Um, but I can control, you know, what I'm doing as a leader to our coaches, what I'm doing as a coach and really kind of start breaking that down. Yes. Kids are different, which means we have to be different as coaches. Um, you know, what used to work doesn't work anymore. Um, I think the biggest obstacles we noticed, um, I would say in general, I saw like a decline in motivation, um, which is really challenging um, as a coach. Like you don't understand, like, why wouldn't they want to work hard? Why wouldn't they want to be their best? Why are they okay ending on that turn? Or why are they okay skipping practice? Um, so we really kind of broke down like, well, what motivates kids? And do we know as coaches? And are we trying to figure that out? And it's still something we work on all the time. But the number one thing that I started really pushing to our coaches um, at least in our industry, right? These kids are going to school all day and then they come here to gymnastics practice, most of them anywhere from three to five hours. It's a, that's a long day. You know, if, if they come here and it's not fun for them, why would they want to come? So we have to make them want to come. We have to make sure we're figuring out what fun is for these kids. And it's different for every kid, which is hard, right? Some of them are fun is winning. Some of it's learning new skills. Some of it's their friends. Um, some of it's, they just like kind of having that interaction with us or being a grinder, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I reminded our staff, what we're up against now that's different is all the distractions of the world. Would it be more fun to go hang out with friends? Would it be more fun to sit on their iPad? Would it be more fun to get on video games? For me? No, I don't like any of those things, but for kids, yes. So how do we make what we do more exciting and more fun? And meet that, that feeling of what kids, you know, want to do and what they love to do in a hardworking, competitive environment. Because you can't do gymnastics and just play around. You can't do gymnastics and just oh, go through the motions and expect to be great at it. So we have to find this balance in it. Um, the other challenge that we're finding as coaches is we feel like the, the brain to body connection is really different. Um, my theory on that is I just don't think they're outside playing on playgrounds. Like we used to swinging off monkey bars and knowing how to land and fall and roll and all that kind of stuff. So we've had to, um, come up with different ways for them to engage and understand how their body works, how it feels, what they should feel when they're doing a skill or just where they feel weak or strong so that they can actually make improvements. Because I think the greatest gift we can give kids is to empower them 
to know what they need as an athlete. Do you need more reps? Do you need more flexibility? Do you need to get stronger? Do you need better cardio? Do you need, what do you need to get to where you're at or where you want to be? Um, and so I think those are the two things we spent a lot of time focusing on is, you know, how do we motivate them and how can we get their, you know, brain to body a little more effective? So we're getting, when they are here for five hours, we're actually getting what we want out of it. Yeah. You know, and I, and, and I know they're, they're coming in from a long day of school and then come into your gym and now they're performing for another four, four to five hours, right? A long day. Is there, are there the, some of the mental performance drills that, that we've been working on, right? You do an empower hour every Monday with, with your, with your team and you talk about mental performance. And we started in the last year, kind of every other week, sort of um, being able to support you and come in and zoom in with your team. And we've talked about vision boards and perspective posters and journaling and scheduling your day and mental imagery and the controllables and a lot of different sort of mental performance tools that you and your staff have been able to take and implement with your team. Talk about the importance as a coach of actually taking time with the empower hour and, 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 and dedicating time in a classroom setting to talking about mental performance. How important is that for you and what you're doing? Yeah, obviously what I didn't say at the beginning is we started working with you a year ago and to give you like a quick version of why I think it's so powerful is we, we had our greatest season ever. Um, we've qualified more kids to nationals than ever before. We had more regional and state champions than ever before. So with that being said, I have always believed in mental training. Um, we've always blocked out one time a week, anywhere from 15 minutes to 30 or 45, where we do these monthly, you know, themes and, um, all these different strategies. So this has always been something that's really important to me. Again, I think stemming from my, from my coach, but I think the biggest difference when working with you was not only did we have a better outline, it wasn't just like, oh, we're not motivated. So I'm going to do a, a month on motivation, Amanda style. Uh, it was a little bit more structured. We had goals in mind. This is where we're weak. This is where we want to be. This is our theme for the month. And with our entire staff listening to you know, your messages or the following the outlines that we did. We had every coach talking about it. You know, we line them up at each event. We tell them what their goals are, maybe what the focus is. This month is visualization. This month, this month is time management. Here's how we're using it at my event. And so I felt like the message, while we've always talked about it, just went way deeper through our kids, through our parents, through our staff than ever before. So obviously our younger kids, they do a quick little nugget of it because their attention spans are all over the place. Our older kids, I mean, there are a handful of kids that I feel like are night and day different athletes after doing this. Um, and I, I see a lot of it. I know you always ask me what I, what I see, but I think a lot of it has been their confidence because they had the physical and they did all the work, but by adding that piece of the puzzle, they saw you know, it wasn't easy. It wasn't like they didn't make a mistake all season or they've had a perfect year, but they saw the growth. And then it became this like, whoa, they're really motivated about this because they can see that it's working. Mm, it's awesome. It's awesome. And I, and I love the fact too, that you guys had the greatest results to your season you've ever had as, as, a, as a team. And the cool part about you is not only did, were you Olympic gold medalist, you coach and you run the gym. You also have a daughter who's performing on that team. 
Yes. So, so you have one in your house. So you get to see <laughs> some of the growth and some of the day-to-day processes that they use. What are some of the specific things that whether it's your daughter or her friends or, or athletes that you coach that are doing, are they, are they scheduling their days? Are they um, intentional about like, when I change my clothes, I shift from student into athlete. Are they listening to a daily podcast, keeping a performance journal? What are some things maybe behavior wise you're noticing both in your house with your daughter, but also in <laughs> and friends and the athletes you're coaching? Yeah, obviously, you know, my daughter has some of my genes, I think <laughs> with her competitiveness and her organization, very type A, but I told the coaches, we went into regionals, which was the last meet to qualify. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm nervous for her because I know how about she wants to make nationals. I said, but either way, the growth I saw in her as an athlete and person was mind blowing. That makes me so proud as a mom, right? I'm her coach too. And I want to see her qualify, but this is like a life changing skill. Um, small things. Yes. She listens to the podcast. She journals a lot. Um, she puts everything up that, you know, that we print or whatever, you know, habits and things like that. But I think I really noticed is she really bought into any of the habits that we talked about from making her bed every day. Mom loves that. Now I got to work on my two boys. We're not there with them yet. Um, to, um, just structuring her day. One thing she, she wanted to do was work on her nighttime routine because she felt like, oh, I don't sleep well. And I like to watch my iPad to go to bed. She's like, I just don't think that's good for me as an athlete. I want to change what I do. And so now she's read, I don't know, three or four books since December, just getting into a different nighttime routine. So changing her routines, she loves to backtrack or block out her time based off what's going on in the week. Um, I think one big thing that we, we really use throughout our season after every competition right there in the moment that the competition would end and we huddle up and we asked every one of our teams to come up with start, stop, continues based off that competition. Um, I think that was really huge for our team this year because like, Hey, you were great here. Well, why? And keep doing that, you know? Um, Oh, you're a little behind here. Was there something you could have done differently? Well, let's start doing that. And, you know, and they realized too, you know what? Oh, I fell off the beam because I was, I was negative about myself or my self-talk. And so I think it's just been the consistency of this small positive feedback for these kids every single day. But um, I saw incredible growth in my daughter, uh, but I used an example really quick with my son. Uh, he plays golf and baseball, two very challenging sports, and I don't understand them, but I'm a great cheerleader. Um, and he was trying to do some goal in baseball. And I played the podcast, uh, about the lemon, visualizing the lemon and having my boys do it. And I had both, I have an eight-year-old, so he's a little on the edge of it, but then he went to the practice and I said, I want you to think about the lemon, right? Like that's how powerful your mind is. Like, I don't know a single correction in baseball or golf, but you do. And I'm like, see what you want your body to do. You want the club to hit it at a different angle. You, then what do you need to do? And slow-mo that in your mind and visualize it. And he has noticed a mm. huge change. And a lot of times, you know, as he's, you know, coming up to bat or whatever, it's kind of like, you know, see it, see it. Like if you can see it, your body can do it. Mm. And um, so that's been fun to watch him use that strategy and skill as well. well I'm trying to think there's the, the golfer, um, since we're on that topic here, Jason Day. 
who's a professional golfer. And we'll, we'll, we'll play this clip here. And this might be one that you come back to and share with your son talking exactly about visualization into the routine, right? And it's amazing how <clears throat> I shared this with somebody earlier today of how Ken Revisa, my mentor, who is the GOAT of the mental game of baseball, he got to start with gymnastics with Dick Wolf at Cal State Fullerton. And he got started because he was teaching like a stress management class as a professor at Cal State Fullerton. This is, I don't know, 75, somewhere around there. And he had he had gymnasts in the class and they were like, oh, hey, Ken, that stress management that you do where you lay us down on the floor and you talk us through tightening body parts and let them go, we get really relaxed. Like we think that'd be helpful if you came and did it with our gymnastics team. So him and Dick Wolf had known each other and Dick had him come in and he started doing visualization and relaxation training with the gymnast before practice. And, you know, no real performance change beginning, but within, I think, two years, they won a national championship and he had started working them consistently. And it's so funny because he always would tell the story that when he would ask the gymnast at the end of the year, like, what difference did our work make together? They're all like, Ken, I don't know what difference the work made we did together, but I just know it was more fun to lay down on the ground and close my eyes and breathe for 30 minutes than it was to actually get up on the beam and fall off, you know? So it was almost, it was almost in a way like a joke that he got started, but then was able to take all of that because the, the gymnastics coach at Fullerton, when they win the national championship is close with Augie Greedo, the baseball coach, they start working together. Hey, Augie, you got to start with Ken. The baseball team wins a national championship, 1979. The pitchers are using a ton of visualization. Dave Snow, who's a legendary college baseball coach, was their pitching coach. He's friends with Joe Madden, who was the manager of the Cubs when they won the World Series in 16. But back in 1980, he was a hitting coach with the Angels and they get connected. And now this whole thing takes off, starting with using and working with gymnastics. So I want to play this video of Jason Day uh, talking about kind of visualization. And then we'll take any questions or anything that we have for Coach Amanda. He's picturing this shot or trying to picture this one. I saw Aaron Badley do it one time when he won the Australian Open as an amateur. And I talked to Cole and I said, I can't visualize a shot when I just open my eyes and see it. So he said, close your eyes and see how that goes. Jason Day's unique pre-shot routine of visualizing the entire shot from start to finish is just one factor that has led to an historic run in 2015 and 2016, achieving number one in the world. I try and do the best job I can with regards to not hitting a shot when I'm not ready. By visualizing his shot, Day can block out any distraction around him and focus on whatever specific shot he needs to hit at the time. Last thing in my head when I hit a shot, it can be either a swing thought, like making sure I finish my swing or a slower backswing. That's when I'm focused the most and that's when I feel like I'm in the zone. Awesome. So, Coach Amanda, what you're doing with your son with visualization for golf, it's right there. It's the same thing. <laughs> I know that's a tough game. Let me tell you, he has his championships this week, Tuesday and Thursday for middle school golf. So let's go. Let's go. Well, you'll, I'm sure you'll be there, be there cheering them on. So yeah. questions that we have for coach Amanda, please feel free to bring those into our chat here. And while we are gathering those questions, I just wanted to take a minute and I wanted to thank Mike Bahoon, CEO of fundraising university for supporting and, and bringing you this group coaching program. Uh, and let you know, as a reminder, that fundraising university offers a variety of fundraising efforts that help teams and students run profitable, effective and fast-paced fundraisers designed to raise the most amount of money in the least amount of time to help teams reach their fundraising goals. So if you're interested in running a fundraiser with Fundraising University or learning more about franchise ownership, please contact Zach Sorensen, zsorensen at fundraisingu.net to learn more about how to get started. We'll go ahead and post that inside of the chat here. 
So uh, first question comes in and it says, um, Coach Amanda, no question, but wanted to wish you a happy birthday coming up next week. So you got some big fans here. So thank you for that. Happy birthday. And then <laughs> question is, how do you adjust mental performance training activities between younger athletes and older athletes? You know, I think um, it really, my opinion is as coaches doing what we think is right for kids, right? We do have younger kids that have the focus and the mindset to be able to handle a little bit more. I also feel like, you know, we have older kids that are just really distracting and or distracted and don't always buy into that stuff. So I do most of our um, empower hour planning, obviously using a lot of the lessons and um, Zoom calls with Brian, but I do count on our coaches to kind of gauge that. Um, our younger athletes, I feel like are getting a little harder and harder. So we start small. And when we feel like we're making the progress that they need, we continue to add it in. It's no different than, you know, you start with three push-ups, and eventually you get to five and then hopefully you get to 10. And that's kind of how we handle the mental training. Um, we also have gotten our parents involved as in sending home monthly emails that describe what we're trying to work on and questions to ask their kids. For example, when we were at Habits was just recently, you know, we talked about habits that we were working on. And then I emailed the parents and said, hey, your kiddos picked a habit that they want to work on for the month of April. Take time to talk to them about it and encourage them and support them. Um, I think parent involvement is a huge piece of the puzzle. And I am a parent. I'm very busy. It's always hard to, to do all those kind of things too. But, um, you know, you can really work together as a team. But as they get older and the higher level the sport, um, the more demanding it is. I mean, their brains need to catch up with where they are physically. So we have to help them get there by training like anything else. Mm. And I think that's such a key concept is that the mental performance can be trained. I think too many times athletes, coaches, parents, they go, wow, that's that you can't train motivation. You can't train organization or you can't train confidence. And it's like, no, you, you can train those just like you're training the fundamentals of your sport. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, what we try to do is give our gymnast the tools um, and give the parents the conversation pieces, or here's what we're focusing on. At the beginning of the competition year, I do a big um, meeting. Our theme this year was all in. We were an all in team and I broke it down and I did, here's what it is to be an all in athlete. And I did it with our staff. Here's what it is to be an all in coach. And I did, here's what it is to be an all in parent. Mm. Um, and I felt like that really set the tone for everybody. Like you can't, we can't expect our, even our 18 year olds to be all in athletes, if the mentors, the coaches and parents aren't demonstrating and showing by example, what being all in means. And I share that with our coaches, you know, we get frustrated that the kids are, you know, tired or not motivated. And I'm like, well, as adults, we're tired and not motivated too. We can't expect our kids to be, you know, up here and us be down here. So again, I feel like by getting everybody kind of on the same page of what it looks like to be all in, really set the tone. And then I try every month to remind everybody. Our coaches get weekly reminders from me, but our parents get, um, you know, a monthly reminder of things that we're working on and, and shooting for. Love that. I love, I love the idea about the parent education. I think that's a place that, that gets missed. 
you know, because we have overbearing parents, as you've mentioned, and because we have some parents that that maybe, you know, having just spent three days with athletic directors in Illinois, you know, some of the horror stories that you hear about the parent that wants the coach fired because their kid's not getting scholarship offers to Duke when she's a five foot two basketball player that can't dribble with her non-dominant hand and the parent just has unrealistic expectations. But for you as the coach to say, hey, here's what we're doing in our program and here are some questions that you could ask as conversation openers with your daughter or your son about what we're working on. For example, we've installed habit share. Here's where you, here's what we're doing and here's why. Or um, we are going through a book of the week using heroic and here's what you could do there. Or we have implemented uh, planning out your day the night before to feel more organized and decrease stress. So you might ask them to see what their ideal plan looks like. Because those parents don't necessarily know what they're doing, what, what you're working on in your gym or what a high school coach might be working on in the program. But if you have a way to facilitate that that information and help provide some support within the home, I think that's a pretty, pretty cool idea and a winning formula that 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 maybe some people are not doing. Yeah. I think parents, I see the question about how do I deal with overbearing parents. I mean, we work with pretty much all girls, competitive gymnastics, right? We have a lot of boys, but they're not competitive gymnasts here. Um, they're very young ages. Um, and it's just like a natural thing, I think, for, for parents to feel like they want to get involved. You know, my first perspective in it is that I, I'm a parent of three and overbearing parents, their mindset is all they want is what's best for their kid, right? They want, I mean, I want to see all three of my kids' dreams come true. I want them to be everything they want. And get scholarships and have great jobs and amazing spouses and all these things. And so while it doesn't always feel like that when you're maybe getting attacked or whatnot, I mean, I have to sometimes step back and realize, well, you know, Susie's mom just wants what's best for her. So I really try hard to always have the mentality of listening. Um, and then the second piece is the education. Um, there are quite a few things that I think parents struggle with in the sense that you know, the ability of the child versus what they're expecting doesn't always align. And instead of saying like, oh, your kid can't physically do it or she's not going to be great at gymnastics. Instead, I look at it like, okay, here's where Susie's at. Here's where she's want to be. Here's three things that you can be working on. And gymnastics is a pretty obvious thing in my head because I've lived it my whole life. If you can't lift your own body weight, it's going to be really challenging out there to swing flips and things on your hands. Um, if you don't have splits all the way down, it's going to be a struggle. So I try to make sure, and I call it a hope plan, H-O-P-E, that my response to these overbearing parents gives them things that they can work on, on their own outside of the gym, or even maybe in the gym with us, but that give them hope towards working towards what everybody's expecting of them without crushing dreams or, you know, demeaning them as an athlete. Um, and it doesn't always work. I mean, there are still some parents that, you know, just are unrealistic or just overbearing. But um, I try to spend a lot of time talking to our parents that if this is your dream versus her dream, I mean, she's not going to make it. It's too demanding. It's too hard. And coming from an athlete that did make it to the top, the greatest thing my parents did was say, you do what you love and we're here to cheer you on. And, um, you know, I think that that's hard. I mean, I, like I said, I want all my kids to do great, but, um, the greatest thing we can give them is like, if you want to be good at something, like you have to choose to be good at it, not me, you know, over your shoulder all the time. 
Yeah, not doing it because mom or dad want you to, but because you want to. Yeah, yeah so good. And um, it's interesting. One of the, you know, again, being at this AD conference, you start talking about different strategies and hearing things. And when I go, I try to I try to learn as much as I can, as I bring to it, you know, and, and being a student all the time. And one of the things that a coach had mentioned he did in a parent meeting was had to your, just like you did of saying, hey, our theme this year is all in. Here's what it looks like in behaviors to be all in as an athlete, as a coach, as a parent. And then for, for the goals, like he had the athletes write down their goals for themselves, had the parents write down the parents' goals for the student athlete, had the parent and the student athlete get together. The athlete read their goals to their parent and said at the end, like, would you accept my goals as your goals? Because this is my experience. Parent takes the goals. Athlete takes the parent's goals, rips them up, throws them away because it's the athlete's experience. Now it's a, it's a bold move, but it goes to show for the parent that like, Hey, your goal of your kid getting a scholarship, being an all state player, averaging 20 points a game or whatever it is. But your kid's goal is to have a fun, enjoyable experience with her friends. That those like you have to accept those goals from the kids, not your own. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I think at every parent meeting, I try to lead almost every parent meeting. Not everyone, because our staff leads them too. But every year, I lead one to two parent meetings for every program we have here: our lower levels, our high levels, etc. And that's probably the biggest chunk of the meeting for me. Um, you know, I say what our goals are for every kid in this program. Um, and I remind everybody that while it's e easy to get caught up in competitive sports, the whole reason we put our kids in competitive sports is all these other things like learning to be a hard worker, learning to be a good teammate, learning to be resilient and tough, learning to fail and get back up. It's not nine nines on beam. It's not, you know, winning these $2 medals, but somehow that like takes over and, and how we think and how we, you know, want to progress. And so I do that twice a year with parents and, you know, it may not last all but a couple of weeks for some, but to me, I'm at least, you know, putting it into the parents and when they're sitting in the bleachers and, you know, they're, you know, upset about something, another parent can say, Hey, just relax. She's learning right now. She's figuring it out on her own. Um, so it's great. It's great. Uh, remind me of a video. I'll have to send you coach of, of, of Kobe Bryant talking about learning. Actually, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, if I can pull that up, I think it was so good. I'd like to share it with everybody here. I'm going to see if I can just find it. Um, cause it was exactly, you know, a guy, a guy playing in the NHL playoffs sent, sent this to me and it's not opening up. Fantastic. I'll have to find it and send it to you. But it was just, it was basically Kobe Bryant was asked about how there, there's, there's no losing. Like Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan didn't win the last game of the year nine times, 10 times in his career. Does that mean that whole season was a failure? You know? And I think like when you get to that level of professional sports, it's really hard to keep the mindset of, of learning is what is longevity learning and growing and getting better allows me to get to where I want to go. And through that, I may win and I may not, but I need to continue to just keep that learner's mentality. And speaking of a learner's mentality, our next question, uh, where did the chat go? There we go. Coach, coach, question comes in from Pat. Pat said, Amanda, as a competitor at the highest level, where do you feel your confidence came from? I coach 15 year old girls and sometimes I feel like they struggle with confidence. Yeah. I mean, I have a pretty strong opinion on, on my confidence. So I, 
you know, I obviously work with a lot of teenagers too. And I do think it's our job as coaches to, um, I always say pour into kids, you know, to, um, give them as much positive as we can in, in helping them learn to believe in themselves. But I do feel like a lot of my confidence and my ability to fail and be okay with it came from my family. Um, my parents reminded me consistently all the way through and even after that gymnastics isn't who you are, it's what you do. Like, here's who you are. You're hardworking, you're kind, you're loving, you're respectful, like you're a great daughter, you're smart. And so I had all these other qualities that I felt like made me a good person. And then, wow, like I have this talent to do gymnastics also. Um, and so I think that was a really big part of it for me. I mean, in the 90s, gymnastics got a bad rap, right? If you hear all the stories, I mean, even in the 80s, 90s, and still to this day, but athletes in the 90s were like, you know, oh, everybody was weighed in and everybody was miserable and everybody, all these things. And it was not like that for me. Um, Obviously, I give a lot of credit to my coach, but working out eight hours a day in a sport like gymnastics wasn't easy. Yes, I had days that were hard and I cried and all those kind of things. But when I came home, I was Amanda to my family. Win, lose, make it to the Olympics or not. I always had that. And I think that played a really big role in my confidence and my ability to handle all of those things. You know, I think at least in gymnastics, you know, the word like abuse gets thrown out a lot. Um, you know, like the workouts are hard and coach is tough. And, you know, he, he or she, you know, told me I wasn't trying or whatever those things are. And yeah, absolutely. Those things were probably said to me, but it didn't ever really like hit me here because like I had a strong sense of who I was and you know what? I'm a good person. I had a bad day. I had an off day and I had a bad attitude. You're right or I just couldn't do my gymnastics physically or whatever it is. And so I think that was a lot of it. Um, I do feel like confidence is something we struggle with too. Um, I've tried really hard to make sure I'm always building in all of these other qualities and reminding them of those type of, you know, you're bigger than gymnastics. And, and like I said, we had our, our most successful season, but I will tell you at our highest level, level 10, we took second by point one. Oh, I'm like, that was brutal. And um, my daughter's on that team. And so all her friends were talking about it. And, you know, some of them were crying, not at the meet. Cause I, you know, always tell them like, keep your chins up. And we got home and they were like really upset about it. And I said, Hey, look, it is tough to swallow. And I'm glad that you don't like that feeling, but we're bigger than a state championship. We're hard workers. We're resilient. We're tough. And we're, our season's not over yet. Right. We still got more to do. And you could see him kind of flip that switch. And so I think a lot of those moments of building confidence come from the adults in their lives and us coaches helping them process, you know, the failure, the defeat, the bad day, and not saying I'm a bad person. I'm a stinky athlete. I'm, you know, not tough. I'm not. And instead just that was a performance, but I'm moving forward and here's why I can move forward. Yeah, I love that. You know, we, we, we've said a lot through this group coaching program, separating the who and the do, and whether it's be putting on a uniform, whether it's be how, however you do that, right? I'm a man of the coach at the gym, and then I'm a man of the mom when I go home. But the point you make about like building up the internal with the reasons why, 
and getting, giving some substance to who you are outside of the gym or outside of the athlete or outside of the business owner or outside of the coach, right? I mean, so many times we identify who we are with what we do instead of identifying who we are as something outside of what we do, you know, and that's been, that was, that's been a major struggle for me in my life. That's been a major struggle for people, you know, that, that I, that I work with. What are some ways, um, Amanda, that, that you maybe have worked for you when you transition, right? Cause it's like, when you're a gymnast, you're in the Olympics, you have the high of high. And then like, you don't really transition into like professional gymnastics. It's not like you won an Olympic gold in hockey and then you're back in the NHL two weeks later. Right. It's like, how did you kind of transition that piece of really working to identify who you were outside of just gymnastics? And, and is there any strategies that maybe in closing you would share with the people on this call to help them separate who and do for themselves as adults? Yeah, I mean, I think every high level athlete, really probably any athlete, you know, I had parents that reminded me I was bigger than, you know, being a gymnast. But when gymnastics ended for me, I was like, whoa, 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 now what do I do? And I think some of that was my my focus was on this one accomplishment. So when that ended, it was like, oh, geez, I haven't really thought past this, really. Um, and I just think, again, I was surrounded by really great people, my coach, my parents um, that helped kind of guide me in making the decisions. I mean, the number one thing that led me in my gymnastics, that led me into what I wanted to do in college that still leads me today is do what you love. Um, when I get to do what I love, I am a hard worker. I'm a grinder. That's like who I am. So if I'm doing what I love, I'm going to work my tail off at it. And I'm going to find success in, in those different things. The other things that I've had to like work on are figuring out what gymnastics gave to me that I, I still wanted in my life. Like I wanted discipline. I wanted goals. I wanted purpose. Um, I wanted my favorite feeling about gymnastics that I missed the most is doing like a thousand repetitions to perfect it. So I've tried to find other things in life that I can fill those qualities of myself, I guess is the best way to say it, that aren't gymnastics. Um, obviously coaching, I mean, I have the opportunity to watch other kids, you know, live some of it. But I think we have to be really careful because if we're trying to get kids to fill those needs, our egos get way in the way. And we start, you know, wanting them to win national titles. So I get that feeling. And it's like, okay, that's great. And that's like icing on the cake for me when we are this successful and it's very fun. But I need personal things that are giving me that, um, what's the right word? Not success, but get, fulfilling my cup every day. Yeah, fulfillment. I think there's, such a key distinction between success and fulfillment, right? And if you read like one of the gymnastics books that we read, it was funny how you're talking about gymnastics in the 80s and the 90s when it was portrayed as in a grad school, we read a book called Little Girls and Pretty Boxes, if you've ever heard of that. And it was like, yeah. oh my God, I can't believe that's what happens, you know? And and it's and that's that's that is one author's story of what's happening, right? And being able to separate the being able to separate like the performance with the person and being able to, to do what you love and being able to understand that you can train the mindset and train the confidence and train the routines and train yourself to be able to take the characteristics that you loved about gymnastics and apply them to your life. 
So for a lot of our coaches on this call, as you transition from maybe being a coach into a business owner, right? Or into that next phase as you retire from teaching and getting into something else, what can you take from what you've loved about your competitive part of your life, coaching, athlete, teaching, and bring it into what you do outside of that next chapter? Coach Amanda, it's a fast hour. I appreciate you hopping on and talking with us about mindset and what it takes to be a winner in sports and in life and in, and in business. For anybody who wants to follow up and, and get more um, of your information and kind of stay in touch with what you've got going on, is there an Instagram? Is there a website? What's the best place for them to follow you and stay up to date? Yeah, um, obviously I have Instagram. I'm not the best at that stuff. I'm not going to lie, um, but it's just Amanda K. Borden, I believe. Um, and then our gym website is just goldmetalgym.com. Um, but obviously too, I mean, if there are questions, I'm happy to stay on and answer some of the questions that are in the chat. Um, and or if it's ending, that's totally fine too. Brian can always share some of the questions if, if I, um, you know, want to get, or if I can give feedback or whatnot. We've got a couple minutes. We'll take them. There's two here that came up. The one about, I watched a couple of videos of you performing back in the day and a couple of videos. I could see that you were mouthing something to yourself before your initial movements. I'm guessing that's affirmations, but what were you typically saying to yourself? Uh, so, you know, I think the funniest thing in a sport like gymnastics is the media wants to know like, what are you saying? What are you saying? So I developed mental chore or uh, verbal choreography to help my mind get less distracted and focused in. I mean, I did 20 beam routines every single day. So why, when I got to a meet, could I not hit the beam routine? Well, because I was so worried about everything else. So I developed this mental or verbal choreography to help my brain get into the zone. Um, and so it means nothing to anybody else, but before my beam routine, it was like the famous, everybody would zoom in on my face and I'd say, easy run, feet in front, arms over the top, you got this. So I said it 20 times a day, five days a week for three years, I did the same routines until I did it at the Olympics. And it was definitely, you know, I was in the zone for sure for that, but I did that for every event. So basically kind of just getting, getting my head in the game. Yeah. Well, and, that, and in your sport, that becomes something specific. It's like with track and field, you could do the same thing, right? In terms of you're going to go do a high jump. Well, what are you saying as a part of that routine to go down there to remind you of your fundamentals, your keys to allow you to execute? Last question, Coach Amanda comes in from Coach Greg. He said, with the understanding that adversity is going to happen, it's a part of sports. How have you worked with your athletes to help them flush adversity and get back to the present? Yeah, this is a tough one, I think, for kids nowadays. I feel like I was able to let go of things a lot quicker than the kids I coach. So we've tried a couple different things um, that we've been working on all through the year. We do a lot of breathing. Um, sometimes we'll have them kind of go away and, you know, into a quiet space and, you know, do a visual routine or something like that. A lot of times we'll just talk through a different plan. And sometimes it means changing my game plan for them. You know, if they're having a really off time, I'll say, hey, let's go do five drills. And then we'll come back and try again. And so just a variety of different things. But I think um, letting things go is very challenging for kids nowadays. So we try to just create verbal cues that don't give them time to think about whatever the negative is, but instead snap back to here. Like, this is what we're doing. This is what we're saying. We're not worrying that you fell. Um, and that seems to be what has worked best for us this year. Awesome. Coach Amanda, fantastic. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Fundraising University, for providing us this opportunity and platform to do this continuing group coaching. And everyone, go ahead and keep your eye on your dashboard where you can watch this and all other calls. 
We'll make sure we let you know of what the upcoming calls are. We've got a little bit of a schedule uh, flux here in the month of May. So I will keep people updated as to what's happening there. Coach Amanda, can't thank you enough. Thanks for being with us and congrats on all of your success and continued success. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thanks for helping our team this year. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Talk soon.